Section 8 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2, by Chiao Xuqing, translated by Henry Bancroft Jolie. Chapter 28, Part 2. They then heard Pao Yu recite, A girl is sad when her springtime of life is far advanced and she still occupies a vacant inner room. A girl feels wounded in her heart when she regrets having allowed her better half to go abroad and win a mark wisdom. A girl is glad when looking in the mirror at the time of her morning toilette. She finds her color fair. A girl is joyful when time she sits on the frame of a gallows swing, clad in a thin spring gown. Having listened to him, Capital, one and all cried out in a chorus. Xue Peng alone raised his face, shook his head and remarked, It isn't good. He must be fined. Why should he be fined? demurred the party. Because, retorted Xue Peng, what he says is entirely unintelligible to me. So how can he not be fined? Yuer gave him a pinch. Just you quietly think of yours, she laughed. For if by and by you are not ready, you also have to bear a fine. In due course, Pao Yu took up the guitar. He was heard to sing. When mutual thoughts arise, tears, blood-stained, endless drop, like lentils song broadcast in spring in ceaseless bloom nourish willows and flowers around to paint the tower inside the gauze lattice peaceful sleep flies when after dark come wind and rain both newborn sorrows and long-standing griefs cannot from memory ever die e and jade fine rise and gold-like drains they make hard to go down. They choke the throat. The lass has not the heart to desist gazing in the glass at her wan face. Nothing can from that knitted brow of hers those frowns dispel. For heart she finds it patient to abide till the clepsydra will have run its course. Alas, how fitly like the faint outline of a green hill which not can scream or like a green-tinged stream which ever ceaseless froth onward far and wide. When the song drew to an end, his companions with one voice cried out, Excellent! Xue Peng was the only one to find fault. There is no meter in them, he said. Pao Yu quaffed the opening cup, then seizing a pear, he added, While the rain strikes the pear blossom, I firmly closed the door, and thus accomplished the requirements of the rule. Feng Ying's turn came next. A maid is glad, he commenced, when at her first confinement she gives birth to twins, both sons. A maid is joyful, when on the sly she to the garden creeps crickets to catch. A maid is sad, when her husband some sickness gets and lies in a bad state. 
a maiden is wounded at heart when a fierce wind blows down the tower where she makes her toilette concluding this recitation he raised the cup and sang thou art what one could aptly call a man but thou art endowed with somewhat too much heart how queer thou art cross-grained and impish shrewd a spirit too thou could not be more shrewd if all i say thou dost not think is true in secret just a minute search pursue for then doubt know if i love thee or not his song over he drank the opening cup and then observed the cock crows when the moon's rays shine upon the thatched inn after his observance of the roof followed Yur's turn a girl is said Yur began when she tries to divine on whom she will depend towards the end of life my dear child laughingly exclaimed the your worthy mr share still lives and why do you give way to fears don't confuse her remonstrated every one of the party don't muddle her a maiden is wounded at heart you have proceeded when her mother beats and scolds her and never for an instant doth deceased it was only the other day in the post Peng, that i saw your mother and that i told her that i would not have her beat you if you still go on babbling put in the company with one consent you'll be fined ten cups Xue Peng promptly administered himself a slap on the mouth how you lack the faculty of hearing he exclaimed you are not to say a word more a girl is glad you are then resumed when her lover cannot brook to leave her and return home a maiden is joyful when hushing the pan-pipe and double-pipe a strained instrument she thrums at the end of her effusion she at once began to sing this the third day of the third moon the nutmets bloom a maggot blow works hard to pierce into a flower but though it ceaseless bores it cannot penetrate so crouching on the buds its wing like rocks itself my precious pet my own dear little darling if i don't choose to open how can you steal in finishing her song she drank the opening cup after which she added the delicate peach blossom and thus complied with the exigencies of the rule next came she Peng. is it for me to speak now she Peng asked a maiden is sad but a long time elapsed after these words were uttered and yet nothing further was heard said for what feng ying laughingly asked go on and tell us at once she Peng was much perplexed his eyes rolled about like a bell a girl is sad he hastily repeated but here again he coughed twice before he proceeded a girl is sad he said when she marries a spouse who is a libertine this sentence so tickled the fancy of the company that they burst out into a loud fit of laughter what amuses you so shouted xue Peng. is it likely that what i say is not correct if a girl marries a man who chooses to forget all words how can she not feel sore at heart but so heartily did they all laugh that their bodies were bent in two what you say is quite right 
they eagerly replied. So proceed at once with the rest. Xie Peng thereupon stared with vacant gaze. A girl is grieved, he added, but after these few words he once more could find nothing to say. What is she grieved about? they asked. When a huge monkey finds its way into the inner room, Xie Peng retorted. This reply set everyone laughing. He must be mocked, they cried. He must be mocked. The first one could anyhow be overlooked, but this line is more unintelligible. As they said this, they were about to pour the wine when Bao Yu smilingly interfered. The rhyme is all right, he observed. The master of the rules, Xue Peng remarked, approves it in every way. So what are you people fussing about? Hearing this, the company eventually lets the matter drop. The two lines that follow are still more difficult, suggested Yue with a smile. So you had better let me recite for you. Fiddlesticks, exclaimed Xue Peng. Do you really fancy that I have no good ones? Just you listen to what I shall say. A girl is glad when in the bridal room she lies with flowery candles burning and she is loath to rise at morn. This sentiment filled one and all with amazement. How supremely excellent this line is, they ejaculated. A girl is joyful, Xue Peng resumed, during the consummation of wedlock. Upon catching this remark, the party turned their heads away and shouted, Dreadful, dreadful, but quick sing your song and have done. Forthwith, Xu Peng sang, A mosquito buzzes, hung, hung, hung. Everyone was taken by surprise. What kind of song is this? They inquired. But Xu Peng went on singing. Two flies buzz, wong, wong, wong. Enough, shouted his companions. That will do, that will do. Do you want to hear it or not? asked Xu Peng. This is a new kind of song, called the hung hung air. But if you people are not disposed to listen, let me off also from saying what I have to say over the hill taps, and I won't then sing. We'll let you off, we'll let you off, answered one and all. So don't be hindering others. A maiden is said, Jiang Yu Han at once began, when her husband leaves home and never does return. A maiden is disconsolate, when she has no money to go and buy some ole crayon oil. A maiden is glad when the wick of the lantern forms two heads, like twin flowers on one stem. A maiden is joyful when true conjugal peace prevails between her and her mate. His recital over, he went on to sing. How I love thee with those seductive charms of thine. Heaven born, in truth, thou art like a living fairy from the usher skies. The spring of life we now enjoy. We are yet young in years. Our union is indeed a happy match. But, lo, the Milky Way doth at its zenith soar. Hark to the drums which beat around in the watchtowers. So raise the silver lamp and let us soft under the nuptial curtain steal. Finishing the song, he drank the opening cup. I know, he smiled, few poetic quotations bearing on this sort of thing. By a stroke of good fortune, however, 
I yesterday conned a pair of antithetical scrolls. Of these I can only remember just one line, but lucky enough for me, the object it refers to figures as well on this festive board. This said, he forthwith drained the wine and, picking up a butt of a diminutive variety of Olea Franchon, he recited, When the perfume of flowers wafts, that is, Jiren, itself into a man, he knows the day is warm. The company unanimously considered that the rule had been adhered to. But Xue Peng once again jumped up. It's awful, awful. He bowed out boisterously. He should be fined. He should be made to pay a forfeit. There's no precious article was ever on this table. How is it then that you introduce precious things? There was nothing about precious things, Chang Yuhan vehemently explained. What are you still prevaricating? Xue Peng cried. Well, repeat it again. Chang Yuhan had no other course but to recite the line a second time. Now, is not Jiren a precious thing? Xue Peng asked. If she isn't, what is she? And if you don't believe me, you ask him about it, pointing at the conclusion of this remark at Bao Yu. Bao Yu felt very uncomfortable. Rising to his feet, Cousin, he observed, you should be fined heavily. I should be. I should be. Xue Peng shouted, and saying this, he took up the wine and poured it down his throat with one cup. Feng Ying, Jiang Yuhan, and their companions thereupon asked him to explain the allusion. Yu readily told them, and Jiang Yuhan hastily got up and pleaded guilty. Ignorance, the party said with one consent, does not amount to guilt. But presently Bao Yu quitted the banquet to go and satisfy a natural want, and Jiang Yuhan followed him out. The two young fellows halted under the eaves of the veranda, and Jiang Yuhan then recommenced to make ample apologies. Bao Yu, however, was so attracted by his handsome and genial appearance that he took quite a violent fancy to him, and squeezing his hand in a firm grip. If you have nothing to do, he urged, to let us go over to our place. I've got something more to ask you. Is this, there's in your worthy company someone called Qi Guan, with a reputation extending at present throughout the world. But unfortunately, I alone have not had the good luck of seeing him even once. This is really, rejoined Jiang Yuhan with a smile, my own infant name. This disclosure at once made Bao Yu quite exuberant and stamping his feet he smiled. How lucky! I'm in Lucky's way, he exclaimed. In very truth, your reputation is no idle report, but today is our first meeting, and what shall I do? After some thought, he produced a fan from his sleeve, and unloosening one of the jade pendants, he handed it to Qi Guan. This is a mere trifle, he said. It does not deserve your acceptance, yet it will be a small souvenir of our acquaintance today. Qi Quan received it with a smile. I do not deserve, he replied, such a present. How am I worthy of such an honor? But never mind, I've also got about me here a strange thing, which I put on this morning. It is brand new, yet, and will, I hope, 
suffice to prove to you a little of the feeling of esteem which I entertain for you. With these protestations, he raised his garment and, untying a deep red sash with which his nether clothes were fastened, he presented it to Pao Yu. This sash, he remarked, is an article brought as tribute from the queen of the Tianxiang kingdom. If you attach this round you in summer, your person will emit a fragrant perfume, and it will not perspire. It was given to me yesterday by the prince of Beijing, and it is only today that I put it on. To anyone else, I would certainly not be willing to present it, but Mr. Secundus, please do unfasten the one you have on, and give it to me to bind round me. This proposal extremely delighted Pao Yu. With precipitate haste, he accepted his gift, and undoing the dark brown sash he wore, he surrendered it to Ji Guan. But both had just had time to adjust their respective sashes when they heard a loud voice say, Oh, I've caught you. And they perceived Xue Peng come out by leaps and bounds. Clutching the two young fellows, What do you, he exclaimed, leave your wine for and withdraw from the banquet. Be quick, and produce those things, and let me see them. There's nothing to see, rejoined the two young fellows with one voice. Xue Peng, however, would by no means fall in with their views, and it was only Feng Ying who made his appearance on the scene, who succeeded in dissociating him. So, resuming their seats, they drank until dark, when the company broke up. Bao Yu, on his return into the garden, loosened his clothes and had tea. But Zhe Ren noticed that the pendant had disappeared from his fan, and she inquired of him what had become of it. I must have lost it this very moment, Bao Yu replied. At bedtime, however, describing a deep red sash with spots like specks of blood attached around his waist, Zhe Ren guessed more or less the truth of what must have transpired. As you have such a nice sash to fasten your trousers with, Zhe Ren consequently said, you'd better return that one of mine. This reminder made the fact dawn upon Bao Yu that the sash has originally been the property of Zhe Ren, and that he should by rights not have parted with it. But however much he felt his conscience smitten by remorse, he failed to see how he could very well disclose the truth to her. He could therefore only put on a smiling expression and add, I'll give you another one instead. Zhe was prompted by his rejoinder to nod her head and sigh. I felt sure, she observed, that you'd go again and do these things. Yet you shouldn't take my belongings and bestow them on that low-bred sort of people. Can it be that no consideration finds a place in your heart? She then felt disposed to tender him a few more words of ammunition. But dreading, on the other hand, lest she should, by irritating him, bring the fumes of the wine to his head, she thought it best to also retire to bed. Nothing worth noticing occurred during that night. The next day, when she woke up at the break of day, she heard Bao Yu call out laughingly, Robbers have been here in the night. Are you not aware of it? Just you look at my trousers. Zhe Ren lowered her head and looked. 
She saw at a glance that the sash which Pao Yu had worn the previous day was bound round her own waist, and she at once realized that Pao Yu must have effected the change during the night, but promptly unbinding it. I don't care for such things, she cried. Quick, take it away. At the sight of her manner, Pao Yu has to coax her with gentle terms. This so disarmed Jiren that she fell under the necessity of putting on the sash. But subsequently, when Pao Yu stepped out of the apartment, she at last pulled it off and throwing it away in an empty box. She found one of hers and fastened it round her waist. Pao Yu, however, did not in the least notice what she did, but inquired whether anything had happened the day before. Lady Secunda, Jiren explained, dispatched someone and fetched Xiao Hong away. Her wish was to have waited for your return, but as I thought that it was of no consequence, I took upon myself to decide, and sent her off. That's all right, rejoined Bao Yu. I knew all about it. There was no need for her to wait. Yesterday, resumed Jiren, the imperial consort deputed the eunuch Sha to bring a hundred and twenty ounces of silver and to convey her commands that, from the first to the third, there should be offered in the Qingshu temple thanksgiving services to last for three days and that theatrical performances should be given and oblations presented and to tell our senior master, Mr. Jia Jin, to take all the gentlemen and go and burn incense and worship Buddha. Besides this, she also sent presents for the dragon festival. Continuing, she bade a young servant maid produce the presents which had been received the previous day. Then he saw two palace fans of the best quality, two strings of musk-scented beads, two rolls of silk, as fine as the phoenix tail, and a superior mat worked with hibiscus. At the sight of these things, Bao Yu was filled with immeasurable pleasure, and he asked whether the articles brought to all the others were similar to his. The only things in excess of yours that our venerable mistress has, Jiren explained, consist of a scented jade scepter and a pillow made of agate. Those of your worthy father and mother, our master and mistress, and of your aunt exceed yours by a scented scepter of jade. Yours are the same as Miss Bao's. Miss Lin's are like those of Mrs. Secunda, Tertia, and Quarter, who received nothing beyond a fan and several pearls, and none of all the other things. As for our senior lady, Mrs. Jia Zhu, and Lady Secunda, these two got each two rolls of gauze, two rolls of silk, two center bags, and two sticks of medicine. After listening to her enumeration, what's the reason of this? He smiled. How is it that Miss Lin's are not the same as mine, but that Miss Bao's instead are like my own? May not the message have been wrongly delivered? When they were brought out of the palace yesterday, Jiren rejoined, they were already divided in respective shares, and slips were also placed on them, so that how could any mistake have been made? Yours were among those for our dowager's lady's apartments. When I went and fetched them, her venerable ladyship said that I should tell you to go there tomorrow at the fifth watch to return thanks. Of course, it's my duty to go over, Bao Yu cried at these words, but forthwith calling Ji Shao, take this to your Miss Lin. 
he told her, and say that I got them yesterday and that she is at liberty to keep out of them any that take her fancy. Ji Shao expressed her obedience and took the things away. After a short time, she returned. Miss Lin says, she explained, that she also got some yesterday and that you, Master Secundus, should keep yours. Hearing this reply, Bao Yu quickly directed a servant to put them away, but when he had washed his face and stepped out of doors, bent upon going to his grandmother's on the other side, in order to pay his obeisance, he caught sight of Lin Yu coming along towards him from the opposite direction. Bao Yu hurriedly walked up to her. I told you, he smiled, to select those you liked from my things. How is it you didn't choose any? Lin Yu had long before banished from her recollection the incident of the previous day, which had made her angry with Bao Yu, and was only exercised about the occurrence of this present occasion. I'm not gifted with such extreme good fortune, she consequently answered, as to be able to accept them. I can't compete with Miss Bao, in connection with whom something or other about gold or about jade is mentioned. We are simply beings connected with the vegetable kingdom. The allusion to the two words, gold and jade, aroused of a sudden much emotion in the heart of Bao Yu. If beyond what people say about gold or jade, he protested, the idea of any such things ever crosses my mind. May the heavens annihilate me, and may the earth extinguish me, and may I for ten thousand generations never assume human form. These protestations convinced Lin Yu that suspicion had been aroused in him. With all promptitude, she smiled and observed, They're all to no use. Why utter such oaths? When there's no rhyme or reason, who cares about any gold or any jade of yours? It would be difficult for me to tell you, to your face, all the secrets of my heart. Pao Yu resumed, but by and by you will surely come to know all about them. After the three, my old grandmother, my father and my mother, you, my cousin, hold the fourth place. And if there is be a fifth, I am ready to swear another oath. You needn't swear any more, Yu replied. I am well aware that I, your younger cousin, have a place in your heart. But the thing is that at the sight of your elder cousin, you at once forget all about your younger cousin. This comes again from over-suspicion, ejaculated Bao, for I am not at all disposed that way. Well, resumed Lin Yu. Why did you yesterday appeal to me when that Hosi Bao Chai would not have you by telling a story? Had it been I who had been guilty of any such thing? I don't know what you wouldn't have done again. But during the tether they espied Bao Chai approach from the opposite direction. So readily they beat a retreat. Bao Chai had distinctly caught sight of them, but pretending she had not seen them, she trudged on her way with lowered head and repaired into Madame Wang's apartment. After a short stay, she came to this side to pay Daoju's Lady Jia a visit. With her, she also found Bao Yu. Bao Chai ever made it a point to hold Bao Yu aloof, as her mother had in days gone, by mentioned to Madame Wang and her other relatives that the gold locket had been the gift of a bond, that she had to wait until such time as some suitor with Jade turned up before she could be given in marriage, and other similar confidences. 
but on discovery the previous day that Yuan Chun's presents to her alone resembled those of Bao Yu, she began to feel all the more embarrassed. Luckily, however, Bao Yu was so entangled in Lin Dai Yu's meshes and so absorbed in heart and mind with fond thoughts of his Lin Dai Yu that he did not pay the least attention to this circumstance. But she unawares now heard Bao Yu remark with a smile, Cousin Bao, let me see that string of scented beads of yours. By a strange coincidence, Bao Chai wore the string of beads round her left wrist, so she had no alternative when Bao Yu asked her for it than to take it off. Bao Chai, however, was naturally inclined to Onbon Puan, and it proved therefore no easy matter for her to get the beads off. And while Bao Yu stood by watching her snow-white arm, feelings of admiration were quickly stirred up in his heart. With this arm attached to Miss Lin's person, he secretly pondered, I might possibly have been able to caress it. But it is, as it happens, part and parcel of her body. How I really do deplore this lack of good fortune. Suddenly he bethought himself of this secret of gold and jade, and he again scanned Bao Chai's appearance. At the sight of her countenance, resembling a silver bowl, her eyes limpid like water and almond-like in shape, her lips crimson, though not rouged, her eyebrows jack black, though not penciled, also of that fascination and grace which presented such a contrast to Lin Dayu's style of beauty. He could not refrain from falling into such a stupid reverie that though Bao Chai had got the string of beads off her wrist and was handing them to him, he forgot all about them and made no effort to take them. Bao Chai realized that he was plunged in abstraction and conscious of the awkward position in which she was placed, she put down the string of beads, and turning round, was on the point of betaking herself away, when she perceived Lin Dayu standing on the doorstep, laughing significantly while biting a handkerchief she held in her mouth. You can't resist, Bao Chai said, a single puff of wind, and why do you stand there and expose yourself to the very teeth of it? Wasn't I inside the room, rejoined Lin Dayu, with a cynical smile, but I came out to have a look as I heard a streak in the heavens. It turned out, in fact, to be a stupid white goose. A stupid white goose, repeated Bao Chai. Where is it? Let me also see it. As soon as I got out, answered Lin Dayu, it flew away with a duh sort of noise. While replying, she threw the handkerchief she was holding straight into Bao Yu's face. Bao Yu was quite taken by surprise. He was hit on the eye. Aya! he exclaimed. But, reader, do you want to hear the sequel? In that case, listen to the circumstances which will be disclosed in the next chapter. End of section 8